0: This Bible reading tonight comes from Matthew chapter five, verses seventeen to twenty. Do not think do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will will be by any means disappear from from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses and the Pharisees of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, he will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ.
1: Amen. Thank you so much for that, Aurora. Uh, Let me add my welcome to you, Um, it is great to be here tonight, so welcome those of you who are meeting here physically and uh, those of you who are meeting with us online, uh, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, it's good to gather and to hear from God and it's been a great service so far, really enjoyed uh, gathering with you and worshipping God together. Let me also thank those of you who sent a number of messages and things welcoming me back to work, Uh, it's always great to receive those messages, it's encouraging and uh, I really do appreciate receiving them. Uh, Tonight we're going to be looking at uh, Matthew 5 17 to 20 and before we get into that it's worth having a look at uh, the context uh, of this passage and uh, Matthew 5 to 12 is that passage of scripture um, that we call the Beatitudes and in reality what is listed in the Beatitudes are the characteristics which those who confess to being Christians should be manifesting in their lives. They are meek, they long for righteousness, they show mercy, they are pure, they seek peace, and they are called the sons of God. These attributes or characteristics should be clearly evident in their lives, and that, so much so that it actually sets them apart from everyone else, and it's not setting them apart in a bad way they are reflecting the very characteristics of Jesus Himself and we know that although some people actually opposed Jesus, the vast majority of people were actually attracted or drawn to Him. And Jesus, He calls His followers to be like that, to draw people by being salt and light in this world and this is what is discussed in Matthew 5, 13 to 16. But why does Jesus call his followers to live like that? In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are called to live as salt and light, counter to the world and what all the world would call us to do and so that they can taste, so they can see those good deeds... And in seeing them, we'll know that it's not of us, it is of God. And so, as a result, they see those works, they see the difference in our life, and they glorify God. They give Him the glory. Why are we called to be meek? It is to glorify God. Why should we be seeking after righteousness? So that we glorify God. I'm sure you get the idea, I don't need to continue to say that but all that we do should be done in such a way that it glorifies God. Our lives, our attitudes, our very character is to be a reflection of the life, attitude and character of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He lived to glorify His Father. Jesus has told these people uh, what I've just summarized for you. And keep in mind too that at the time John the Baptist came proclaiming that there was this new kingdom coming and with that a new king of course. And so the religious leaders were not expecting anyone even remotely like Jesus. They were looking for the promised Messiah but they were expecting him to come in a certain way and this Jesus wasn't even remotely close to what their expectations were. To date, he doesn't seem to be affirming the position or authority of the established priesthood. And we know that Jesus again and again broke the laws that the Jews insisted people conform to. He didn't wash his hands ceremoniously, he healed people on the Sabbath and we know he was ultimately condemned and crucified as a lawbreaker. And so Jesus is seen as this radical teacher, he doesn't speak or teach like everyone else did. But when he spoke, he spoke with an authority that no one else had. He spoke powerfully, and his words were accompanied with a power that produced miracles, and that could only be from God. So who is this man, and what's tonight's chapter all about? Let's just pause and pray. Father God, I want to thank you again that we can gather in this place at this time. I thank you we come to hear your voice, Lord. And Father, I desire that you reveal the truth of your word to us. I pray, Lord, that when we leave here or when we turn our screens off at home, that, Lord, we have heard from you. And we have heard in such a way that it transforms us, it changes us, it draws us closer to you. Father, come and do your work this evening, I pray, by power of Holy Spirit. Mix and mingle among us. Minister to each one as they have need, I pray, in Jesus' name, Amen. What we need to realize as we come and we approach this passage of Scripture is that Jesus will not be affirming any of the existing interpretations of Scripture. Instead, He's going to speak authoritatively about the true interpretation, particularly of the Old Testament. But some are already beginning to think that Jesus is declaring a new work, one that can only be in conflict with the Old Testament, and in particular, in conflict with the law of Moses and all that the prophets said should happen. And realistically, the passage we're looking at tonight is Jesus addressing this very point. And first and foremost, he says that he will fulfill the law. The religious leaders of the day were already beginning to hate Jesus... He was gaining popularity people were listening to his message his ministry was accompanied by those great miracles that they had no hope of replicating and he really did shake the established religion of the day and he appears to be going totally against all their traditions the law of moses was the identity of the jews and for Jesus to make that obsolete or for him to perhaps ignore that would be for him to blaspheme. And in a way, they were perhaps hoping that that would be what Jesus would do, that he would stand against both the law and the prophets of old. But Jesus addresses that way of thinking immediately. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets I've come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus begins with these words, do not think. And it seems to indicate that there were people who were thinking exactly that. And he's calling them to change the way that they're thinking. If Jesus was to have set aside the former revelations of God, he would have rightfully been named a heretic and would have been dealt with swiftly. But he wants to make it perfectly clear that he is in agreement and in line with the law of Moses and the prophets. In fact, Jesus says he has come to fulfill the law and the prophets. And what we have to realize too is that Matthew is setting this up so that this is evident in the very chapter of Scripture that we're reading and in fact in the whole book of Matthew. Uh, there's many examples of that if we look at Matthew 1, 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. What God had said by the prophet. Matthew 2, 5 and 6, they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, and this is the wise man speaking, in Bethlehem of Judea, or so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Matthew 3.3, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Of course, speaking about John the Baptist. Matthew 4.13 and 14. Okay, what have I done? I missed one. And leaving Nazareth he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah may be fulfilled. These are only a few examples of what's contained in the first four chapters of Matthew, it continues all the way through Matthew, Jesus is the one who came to fulfill prophecy and his life continually actually does that as evidenced by Matthew and many other references in the New Testament. And as I said, these are only some of the examples, there are many others, I challenge you to go and have a look. But it is clear that when we read that Jesus came to fulfill, we had to understand what is being said in light of what what has come before. All that is said by the law and the prophets points to Jesus. And Jesus has said this in the passage that we're looking at tonight. And he also said it in Luke 24, 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and prophets and Psalms must be fulfilled. Everything written about Jesus must be fulfilled. And I personally believe it was. What Jesus is saying and meaning here is not just that he would fulfill the requirements of the law and the prophets through his perfect obedience to them, although that is actually part of it as well. He's saying that all of the Old Testament, all of the law, is pointing to Him. It's about Him. And the point is that everything that God communicates to man through the Old Testament, about His will, the future hope of man, all of it finds its fullest, deepest meaning in Jesus Christ. Jesus' desire is to take His disciples, and indeed all of us, into a deeper understanding of Scripture, and its original intended meaning. Jesus teaches and lays claims on the lives of his followers with great authority and in all this is explaining the true intent of the law and the prophets and this is in line with what was said in Matthew five twenty and 22. In chapter 5 verses 27 to 48 we have the whole series of you have heard it said but I say to you and again I say Jesus stands out as this authority figure he doesn't depend on or refer to anyone else. He doesn't rely on what others have said. He stands on his own authority. He declares what God's word means, what it really means, because he is God and he knows. But what is teaching is not a radical departure from the law of Moses. It is, in fact, in line with Moses and the prophets and their teaching and command that called for people to live righteously before God with heartfelt obedience. Moses Ten Commandments were written on tablets of stone but Jesus emphasizes that it was never intended to be about keeping rules and laws rigidly the lives of those committed to God were always intended to take God's law to heart it's not, it was not about knowledge of the law but more about understanding the heart of the law and allowing it to transform us in such a way that Jesus is reflected in our lives. Obedience is involved, but it is obedience that leads to submission, surrender and transformation. All of what Jesus says affirms the validity of the Old Testament. Matthew five eighteen says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth passes away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus has affirmed the Old Testament as the revealed word of God for his people until heaven and earth has passed away, or all is accomplished. And the Old Testament will always stand as a revelation of God's will, always. But there are some elements which have been fulfilled, so they're no longer required, they're no longer practiced, they're no longer relevant And when you think about everything in relation to the sacrificial system that was occurring in the temple, the death and shedding of blood for the atonement of sin in the Old Testament, it's clear from our perspective that Jesus accomplished or fulfilled all the requirements of an atoning death, once and for all, for all people on the cross. And so the sacrificial system's gone, it's no longer required. But it still stands. All the temple sacrifices and everything related to it Are no longer needed to be practiced but the principle of sin only being atoned for through the blood of a sacrifice a perfect sacrifice still needs to be taught and understood so the Old Testament scriptures are valid for all men and for all time not one dot not one small pen stroke will be changed if anyone does there will be consequences for breaking the law Jesus has just emphasized that all of the law is valid and everything that has been written must come to pass. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. What he's validating here is the importance and value of each and every commandment. The rabbis of the time recognized a distinction between light and weighty Old Testament commandments. A light commandment was something like the require, requirement to tithe produce. A weighty commandment was those things like not profaning the name of the Lord, keeping the Sabbath day holy. And what Jesus is saying or commanding here is that there should be equal commitment to both the light and the weighty commands. Something that the Pharisees and scribes were found guilty of not doing. In Matthew 23 23 woe to you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites for you tithe mint and dill and cumin those smaller produce things the less weighty things and have neglected the weightier matters of the Lord justice and mercy and faithfulness those you ought to have done without neglecting the others And if we return to verse 19, it is clear that Jesus is speaking to believers. The least and the greatest that he refers to are in the kingdom of heaven. You can't get into the kingdom of heaven unless you're a believer. And so these are the people who've responded to the gospel message and he's calling all believers to accept the binding authority of all scripture he himself didn't abolish the law or the prophets but he fulfilled them likewise his disciples those who say they believe in him should not abolish or break any of the commandments they are instead to practice and teach them from the perspective that the entire Old Testament is the expression of God's will and it is to be obeyed and taught from the perspective of how Jesus fulfilled it and for me it's clear Our status in glory will be subject to how we interpret and teach the Scriptures. Those who do not obey and teach all of God's will will be least in the Kingdom, while those who have been faithfully accepting and teaching all of the Scriptures as truly being all of God's Word are the ones who will be great in the Kingdom. And Jesus finishes this section of Scripture with this. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So as I just said before, Jesus was speaking to his disciples about those who were believers who will actually be in heaven, and now he's shifted, he is speaking to a wider audience. And it's a shocking statement. The scribes and the Pharisees were the epitome of ethical righteousness. They were held up there. Jesus says, if your righteousness does not exceed that of these scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The majority of these leaders had slipped along the way, their faith had become legalistic, self-justifying, faithless religion, instead of a heartfelt commitment and the consequent submission and obedience to God these men were well known to rigorously live out the commands of the Old Testament their adherence to the Old Testament law was legendary and Jesus says that does not gain you in entry into heaven and think about that when when you think of the law I'm sure that you think of the Ten Commandments these guys faithfully kept 613 commandments and prohibitions that the rabbis recognized And Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, you have no place in heaven. And the problem for them was it became all about an outward show. The vast majority of them were more concerned about what people thought of them. And what Jesus is teaching has nothing to do with the quantity of commands kept or obeyed. had everything to do with the righteousness that can only be gained through God's grace Jesus came to fulfill all the requirements of the law his life demonstrates that the old testament law and prophecies point to him he is declaring that the only way to reach God the only way to bring honor and glory to him is being delivered through God's one and only saving plan the Lord Jesus Christ Jesus stepped into this world in order that we could be saved. He offered himself as that perfect sacrifice in our place. And when we accept him as our Lord and Savior, he imparts his righteousness upon us. My salvation, my being saved has nothing to do with me and everything to do with that undeserved act of love of Jesus coming into this earth. Living as a man and dying the most horrific death, taking my sins upon himself so I could have a relationship with God. And my life with him for all of eternity is about me accepting the gospel truth. Jesus was crucified. He died. He did not stay dead. Praise God. He rose on the third day, fulfilling scripture again. Then he ascended into heaven. He's now reigning at God's right hand, interceding for you and me and all believers everywhere. And one day he's coming back and he's going to judge the living and the dead. And that's going to be an awesome day for us God said it I've read it I believe it it's God's Word the question we have to ask what does that mean for me and how does this apply to my life can I just say if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior I'd love to help you. I'd love to answer any questions you have. I'm not going to twist your arm to make a commitment. I simply cannot do that. It has to be your choice. If you don't want to ask me questions or your Christian friends questions, can I encourage you to seek truth for yourself? When you are determined to find truth, when you tell God that you want to seek Him and you want to find Him, if He's real, He will meet you and he will reveal his truth to you. There is nothing more powerful than God's word. If you want to start that journey and you don't have a Bible, come and see me. I've only got one tonight. I'll gladly give it to you. I'm sure we can find some others if you'd like a Bible. But guys, earnestly seek truth for yourself. Don't be detracted or deterred by what your friends may say. Don't believe the lies that Christianity is only a crutch, some great fairy tale that we've created. Our God is real he loves us he loves you and he cares so deeply for you and tonight here in this auditorium you're surrounded by people who can testify to the goodness of God the incredible things that he's done we can talk for hours about his intervention in our lives and I pray for you people at home that you have others around you who dearly love the Lord as well and can testify to his goodness tonight I want to speak mainly to those of you who confess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we living righteously before God in heartfelt obedience to him? when you gave your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, when you came to that point, when you realized that you needed a Savior, did you experience that submission, that obedience and the consequent transformation that comes as a result of Holy Spirit indwelling you? Can you say that today you're different to who you were last week, last month, last year, the last decade? Because if you haven't experienced that transformation, I've got to ask, did you really receive Holy Spirit? Did you really commit your life to Jesus? Are you really in submission and obedience to Him? Because I can testify in my life, the transformation was incredible. And I can testify to the fact that if Jesus Christ didn't intervene in my life, I'd possibly be in jail because of the guys I hung out with. The transformation begins when I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior and submit my life to him. Holy Spirit indwells me at that time and my life becomes one of constant sanctification. A big word which basically means I choose each and every day to set my life aside, what I want, what I desire, what I think I need and saying, Lord, it's no longer about me, it's about you. I want you to use me for your purposes and your glory. Sanctification is simply something being set aside for holy use and purpose and that's what Jesus calls us to be for him. We are his ambassadors to tell others the incredible message of Jesus Christ. Everything I ever want, everything I ever want to be is now placed before the cross of Jesus. It begins a transformation from the inside out. It's a life which continues to bring honor and glory to God. Remember that I said that? In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Everything we do, everything we say, should be done in order to bring honor and glory to God. We are here to reflect Jesus Christ. We are his ambassadors on this earth. Our lives, our attitudes, our very character is to be a reflection of the life attitude and character of Christ who lived to glorify his father. You've come to church tonight, you've logged in at home there to experience church and that's fantastic, that is absolutely brilliant and it's easy to appear as though we're living a life that glorifies God. We can fake it here on a Sunday in front of our friends. And when we see our Christian friends during the week, we can do the same thing. We can actually appear to be Christian. We can say the right things. And how many of you, don't embarrass you, are guilty of giving me an answer, which is just the answer that the pastors want to hear? And how many of you have suffered at that time when I said, that's a good answer to give a pastor, but tell me the truth? The whole point is... It's easy for us sometimes to appear as if we're glorifying God. It's easy for us to appear as if we have it all right. And the law that we speak of, the law of Christ, should be written on our hearts and it should transform us. And so it's not so much about that outward appearance. Remember, that's what was wrong with the Pharisees and the scribes. And so I want to ask you, when you leave this place tonight, what you do between here and your home, which I've got no idea what that would be, does that glorify Christ? When you get home, what you watch on TV, what you watch on your computer screen, what you read, does that glorify Christ? Your interaction with your neighbours, and I'll be honest, I've got some difficult ones in my neighbourhood, the way you speak to the general public, the general community, does that glorify Christ? All we do should glorify Christ. Think about that. In light of the dots and the iotas. Anyone who relaxes one of the least of these commands will be least in the kingdom of God. Are you majoring on the minus? Are you striving to appear as a good Christian when you know your life is far from what it should be? All we do should be to glorify God. We come to church so God can be glorified. We read our Bible so God can be glorified. I ask again, is what we do outside of this glorifying to God? our relationships glorify God our attitude should be to live for him and to glorify him in all things and I just want to ask you if that's not you you're not going to be judged you're not going to be cast out this is between you and God but I encourage you to come speak to myself pastor Darrell trusted Christian friend I'd love to pray for you I'd love to help you glorify God with your entire life my purpose as a pastor is to grow people spiritually I hope some of you have experienced that I'm greedy I want to do it more I'm not interested in anything else and that's why I want to help you let's pray Father God I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for how it challenges us. And Lord, tonight, you know the hearts of each and every person here. And you, Lord, you know what they do on their own time. I don't. And so, Lord, I pray by Holy Spirit, by his power and for his glory, that you'll move amongst each of us tonight, me included. And the Lord, you'll put your finger on anything that we need to deal with you'll point out those things that we do which do not glorify you and lord which are detrimental to our relationship with you and that you'll call us to account you'll call us to that point where we will come and repent and ask for your forgiveness restoring our relationship with you and going on further with you lord we got a whole heap of young people here tonight and i just love them to bits but lord i want to see them in glory i don't want to see them led away by this world So, Lord, will you speak to them? That doesn't excuse the older ones of us here either, Lord. But in particular, I want to see these guys grown in faith. Help us all, Lord, to live for you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.